this is not a topic that I think people scrolling through a list of podcasts would automatically choose. However, my goal with us talking about this is to bring a level of appreciation to its importance that wasn't there before. If you are out in the field, you absolutely need to have a deeper understanding of your radio beyond, you know, they give us the call on on notch one, and then I turn it to notch two to talk to the other people, and then when I'm done, I go back to notch one. Like, don't be that simple-minded about this stuff. Here you on eight. Here you on eight. Okay, you're clear. Stand by for your base. Welcome to EMS Cast, where we provide high-level education for you, the providers on the streets. I'm Ross Orpit, and my co-host Matt Mendez is going to kick us off with a really nerdy episode to complete the 2021 year. But first, I just wanted to thank you guys who have stuck with us through this journey and continue to tune in to listen to us talk about these topics. Whether you've listened to every episode or this is your first time checking us out, we really appreciate everything you do, and you're the reason we put these episodes together. So that being said, we would love to hear from you. If you ever have a question about an episode or if you have something you want to learn more about and would love to hear us cover in an episode, or even if you just want to say hi, you can always reach us at ross at emspodcast.com or matt at emspodcast.com. Your input is invaluable. 2021 marked our first full year doing this podcast. It's a lot of work to put this content together, and we did unfortunately miss a couple months there, but hey, 10 out of 12 months ain't bad. Our New Year's resolution for 2022, though, is to have an episode every month, so be on the lookout. Generally, the last day of the month is release day, and better yet, just hit that subscribe button on whatever service you use to get your podcasts. That way, it'll automatically download for you every time we release a new episode. For the final episode of 2021, we brought back a couple of familiar voices. Hi, my name is Will Barry. I'm a lieutenant with the Denver Health Paramedic Division. My name is Ben Fisher, and I'm a paramedic, and now I'm an EMS data analyst. Ben is a data analyst for Nemesis. Nemesis is responsible for collecting, storing, and organizing a huge amount of national pre-hospital data points that can then be used for research purposes. Ben was on the show back in September to talk with us a little bit about how those click boxes in our trip report can easily turn into some pretty powerful research to advance the field of pre-hospital medicine. And Will Berry has been on the show a few times now, but back in April of this year, he was on to talk with us about MCIs. That was a broad 40,000 foot view of our approach to MCIs, but we got some pretty phenomenal reviews of that episode, including from Ben himself. So Ben actually convinced Will to do a whole series on MCIs, breaking down different facets and the challenges that exist in each. And they decided to start with a discussion about radios. It makes sense to start here because as we discussed with Will in April, communication is such a pivotal part of an MCI. 
These are chaotic and often dynamic situations. And so the ability to clearly and concisely communicate with one another is just a must. But unfortunately, most of us have just a basic understanding of these radios that we use each day. If we're expected to be successful in these high stress scenarios, we need to have an understanding and practice these things before they actually happen, starting with our radios. So Will and Ben are going to take us through the ins and outs of how our radios work. And as you listen to this episode, I encourage you to think about questions that you're going to then go ask your command staff such that you have a better understanding of how your radios work and your mutual aid channels work so that when the crisis strikes, you're prepared. Now, believe it or not, Will and Ben are former partners back when they were both working the streets of Denver. So this actually isn't the first time that they've had one of these discussions together. Now, forewarning, the two of these guys can get pretty nerdy when they get together and can quickly start discussing things that are over our heads. But that's why we let Matt host this episode, to dumb it back down for the rest of us. My name is Matt Mendez, and today I have two guests that I'm going to interview about radios for our ongoing MCI series. So today uh, we are talking about radios. And when you guys proposed this topic to me, I was like... Charge your battery. End of episode. I had no idea why I should care about this. And uh, as my background, I was a medic in a 911 system for a little over four years. Uh, and that was the extent of my understanding of radios. You needed a fresh battery and to know where the button on the side was. Uh, so, Will, why, why is this important? Why should I care about radios beyond the battery life? I would say the majority of first responders and EMS providers across the country, they hang out on one to three radio channels all day, every day, um, despite the fact that there's a ton of channels and a ton of usability programmed into that device. It's a form of communication that we rely on every single day. And when it fails, we don't typically know what to do. To illustrate that, there was a prominent active shooter situation where there were kind of three key response agencies for the situation. There was a, there were heavy law enforcement presence and then two fire-based EMS agencies that responded. The two fire-based EMS agencies were staged at a distance and they were unable to talk to one another. They reverted to the channels that they would normally go to on any run-of-the-mill incident that they respond to any other day. It was up to their battalion chiefs to call their dispatch center actually on the phone to request a patch, which to them was probably something very outside the box to think about doing. And then also, even with that patch, that facilitated them talking to one another, but they still couldn't communicate with their law enforcement partners. So their law enforcement partners did an explosive breach of the building and all the law enforcement officers were on the same page. Hey, there's going to be a big boom. And the EMS responders thought this was a secondary device or a secondary threat. And so all of these hiccups and hurdles came back to one thing, which was communication specifically on the radio. So I, I guess it's, these are pretty common uh, when 
uh, you guys were telling me about after action reports and stuff that you had heard of. It sounds like this is very common. Why is it hard to get a to get two, three, I guess maybe four agencies on the same channel, uh, especially if they are literally right next door to each other? Man, that's a good question because it's complicated and it varies jurisdiction to jurisdiction. But ultimately, the simple answer is every agency has a capability that they rely on and they utilize day in and day out. Now, what I mean by that is they have the physical radio and there are multiple manufacturers of of those radios. Uh, Some of them play well with each other, some don't. Then they usually have a, a series of channels that are theirs and they can utilize those for incidents and things happening. And so every agency is doing that. And then it takes a forward-thinking group of leaders to then bring those agencies together and say, hey, we need to kind of pre-plan for what to do when we need to talk to one another. You were telling me about this, that this is the like thinking and expanding geographic circles, right? Like where if you're trying to think ahead about how to do this and and how to, I'm going to talk to this other fire department and this police department and this EMS agency, you have to think in expanding circles. And I had never heard that term or thought about expanding circles. How the hell do you do that? Sure. So what I mean by the expanding concentric circles is at the simplest level, I have my, my radio capability, my communication capability that's specific to my agency. So, you know, the stereotype is there's some sort of dispatch channel where I'm being given a call to go on. And then there's usually some form of what people generally call a tactical channel, which is uh, a communication pathway that I can utilize on a scene or on an incident to talk to my, my fellow paramedics, firefighters, law enforcement officers within my agency. Now, a lot of agencies then have basically spare channels that they can use for something big or a special event or, you know, in the law enforcement world, sometimes they'll do like undercover operations on one or, or in the fire service, sometimes they'll break a complex incident into multiple channels, but that's still within that agency. And so then just speaking specifically to here in Denver, we then have channels that are specific to the city of Denver that we can expand onto if we choose to. And then there's regional ones that we have access to, which is a group of counties in our area that have gotten together and said we want a shared capability. Then there's state channels that we can use, and then there's federal channels as well. All of that programmed into a small device that fits on my hip that I rely on every single day, and I get really, really mad when it doesn't work the way it's supposed to. And so, so Ben, it it sounds like the... So if you're thinking about these circles, that doesn't mean that everybody has the same type of radio in the first place. So I think that's a a kind of important point there is the expanding circles. So different state, regional, and metro area radios may use physically different infrastructure, especially as you start moving. So if you responded to an incident that was a little ways away, they may have very different capabilities, and very different technical uh, differences in their radios. So the big one being, uh, especially in the Metro Colorado area, is towards the mountains, you start seeing more VHF radios. 
What is that? What does that mean? What is a VHF uh, so, radio? So VHF is very high frequency. Typically so the best. Ri- yes. That means it's yes, the best. Very high frequency. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it goes to 11. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the, the, that radio system typically is not trunked. And we'll all come back and kind of explain what that term means here in a second. But so essentially you, you push the button and you, uh, you start transmitting. And so that, and it's on a certain frequent radio frequency, right? And then you come into the Denver metro area and you have a device that works a little bit more like a cell phone and it talks to a computer similar to a cell phone tower. So when you push the button, instead of just transmitting, you are requesting a channel a piece of frequency bandwidth from a computer and then it gets assigned and it's designed to accommodate more radio traffic for an urban environment with a lot more, more people. So you have infrastructure that's better suited for these different environments, but they have different limitations and they don't necessarily talk to each other. Matt, it's, it's important that we back up a little bit before we go too far down this. A lot of what encompasses all of what we're talking about is what in the industry is called interoperability. And a lot of the push for radio interoperability came after 9-11. So that was something that was um, a big push nationwide in our country was to create a capability to have jurisdictions be able to talk to one another, for especially for a large-scale event. And so take it to its worst pre-9-11. I work for City A. And I say, I want a radio infrastructure. And I get the main vendors to come sell me their equipment. And I say, ooh, I'm going to go with vendor A because kind of like what Ben's saying, that meets the needs of our city or, or our area. The neighboring jurisdiction may do the same process and go with vendor B. Well, they're, they're ultimately selling equipment, so they don't want their stuff to be able to talk to each other. And so even though day in and day out, the people on the ground may be going to some of the same incidents, the the simple device on their hip, I may be able to see you, but I can't talk to you on it. And so that was something they wanted to address post 9-11. Yeah, this is like a national catastrophe version of when you're in a group text and someone has the green bubble and just ruins it by not having the iPhone. Yes, exactly. No ellipses from them. <laughs> yeah, um, that th- this is all. Ju- I, I was the worst paramedic, and I'm realizing I just started an IV, got an EKG on everyone, knew nothing about any of this. I had no. So, uh, so we were talking about the different types of radios. The history is that somehow it took until the 2000s to get momentum to start talking to each other. So how do we? How do we? Ten different types of radios talk to each other like the vhf and the digitals and all what's the other one the 800 can can they talk to each other how does that i have no idea what any of that means so i think the the takeaway here that kind of highlight is um yes there are ways for people to talk to each other in these situations where agencies that don't have the same capabilities are corresponding but you got to practice it right so it's not something you you don't want to be figuring out how that works for the first time, the day you really, really need it. It usually takes people and time to set up some of these things. So it might be a patch, it might be a mutual aid channel, it might be, you know, we'll talk a little bit about special infrastructure that can be rolled out 
in a real on a really bad day. That all takes time to set up and it takes specialty knowledge. So you want to practice this stuff a lot. Also, Matt, to jump in, I think if I hear your question correctly, which is honestly kind of simple is like, can this stuff work together? And the answer is yes. Um, however, it's taken, you know, regulation and law takes time to catch up because when you spend millions and millions of dollars on this infrastructure and then all of a sudden you get told, hey, it doesn't it doesn't meet our regulation anymore. You know, whatever place you work can't just all of a sudden shell out the money for new stuff. So there, it's a slow process. I would say where where we're sitting right now uh, in this geographical part of the country has been pretty forward thinking and has done a lot of the hard work. It's not perfect, but um, we have the capability to talk to almost anybody here. So Ben, what is a, what's a patch? What is that? Like, what does that actually mean? What happens? Uh, so have you, you ever seen Lassie? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> For the, uh, explain it for those of us uh, who haven't seen Lassie. So what I the joke I'm referencing is um, in the show Lassie, they have like the old school phone line where you just pick it up and you're talking to like a physical person and you say, hey, connect me to so-and-so. And then they show them and they have this board with all these like holes in it and all these cables that they're cross-connecting. That's kind of like how this process started. Now it's a mouse click. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ben can go into more detail. Yeah, I don't know. That's actually pretty good. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's done through software, but essentially you are connecting two channels that would not normally be connected. And those can be a, any number of channels, right? So uh, they could be two police districts. They could be a regional mutual aid channel and your primary ambulance dispatch channel, uh, anything to that effect. But basically all those that radio traffic is going to get merged into one sort of giant smushed together channel. So, you know, you, you need to know that you need it. It's going to take a person time to establish it. They have to click some software to make it actually happen. And then it's going to tie up bandwidth on both of those channels. And then you're also going to get anybody who's on both those channels is now talking on this one giant smushed together channel. So the advantage is people can now communicate across these two channels. Uh, you just have to be aware that now you've got a lot of people all talking on the one big channel. To tag on to what Ben just said, and Matt, to keep it kind of real world practical for a second. So an example from where I work is, uh, let's say there's some sort of law enforcement incident that's going to leave one jurisdiction and go into another. Um, What our police department will do is they'll let the officers involved with that incident stay on the channel they started on. Because when you're in the middle of a stressful environment, the last thing you want to do is pull out your radio and find some channel that you only find like three times a year. So they let all of those officers stay on that channel. And let's let's say it's a vehicle chase. They go into another jurisdiction. The dispatch center contacts that other jurisdiction's dispatch center, says, hey, we have a high-speed chase coming into your jurisdiction. Can we have some help? They say, yep, we're sending help. Um, We're going to respond on this mutual aid channel. And then the dispatch centers will patch 
the mutual aid channel with that other police district channel. And so all of a sudden, the two neighboring law enforcement agencies are talking to each other, and they barely had to do anything on their end as the end user. Yeah, that's a pretty wise way to approach that. I like that. Uh, and what is simplex? What does that mean? This is like SAT word time. Yeah. I had that on a uh, a renewal exam once. They wanted to know uh, about simplex and multiplex systems. And at the time, I did not know. So, But now I know. At a minimum, you'll be able to get one question on the Yeah, I'll get one question right. correct on my renewal yeah. exam. So, so uh, we joke, but it's a capability that can be really, really vital in certain situations. So um, as Ben alluded to earlier, the modern like public safety radio, uh, as the technology just keeps advancing and advancing, it, it works a lot like a cell phone. And so practically what we mean by that is when you press that push to talk button, it's communicating with a tower somewhere and computers are doing a lot of the background work. You and I could be standing right next to each other. If I want to talk to you on my radio, it's still going to go out, touch that tower, get routed with software back to you, just like if we called each other on our cell phones standing right next to each other. The problem is, what if my radio can't get service to a tower, but I still need to talk to you? So a simplex channel or simplex capability is essentially just a radio to radio, kind of like a walkie-talkie when you were a kid. And so the way this was explained to me that helps, helps me visualize it, a lot of radios are power, they, they have like a watt power that um, you're told. So for example, like a five watt radio, usually if you remove your battery on the back, it'll tell you what it is. So picture a household light bulb is like 60 to 120 watts. Picture a five watt light bulb on the end of your antenna and think about how far you could see that light. So when I'm on a simplex channel and I key up, it's transmitting out that distance. And if you're within that net, you're going to pick up what I'm saying. And if you're not, you're not going to hear me. So coming back to practical for a second, here in Colorado, a lot of mountain agencies utilize this capability all the time because they're going in canyons, they're going on high mountain passes where they can't, their radio can't touch the infrastructure. So they routinely go on a simplex channel. In the urban environment, it's kind of like, it's very analogous to cell phones. When we're driving through the mountains and we look down and our phone doesn't work, we're kind of like, yeah, that figures. But when we're in the mall or wherever and we're like, what the heck, I don't have service here? It's, it's a similar mentality with a radio. And so in the urban context, people don't use simplex capability as often. Some examples, though, might be buildings that have multiple levels underground or a lot of concrete, or there's other examples where you, you just may encounter dead spots. However, some progressive fire code and other like city planning stuff, they'll, they'll put in, they're, they're trying to address some of these spots with uh, infrastructure. Is it used now in urban and suburban environments as like the backup plan if infrastructure went down in a disaster attack or, you know, crash of some sort is that is that most agencies like 
backup plan to go to Simplex? It's a really good point-to-point communication Mm -hmm. option, but like you're you're not going to be able to talk to the other crew or wherever across the city. You'd have to, you'd literally have to play telephone to to communicate that way. In my head, the scenario where this is useful is, uh, so if there is an infrastructure devastating event, you might be able to reach a small number of people, but it's going to take standing up emergency infrastructure um, before the radio system actually comes in any way functionally back on. But I think it's still, if, something bad happened and infrastructure really went down hard. It is, you know, one of those capabilities where if you need it, you're having a really bad day and you don't want to be learning how to use it for the first time at the same time. And and so if you have, if you have a, any radio, can you assume that there is a way to make it simplex or does it, is it intuitive? Is this something you should rehearse, like how to switch to it? Yes and no to all of those things. Okay. So I think about the modern public safety radio as it's kind of like your stereo in your car. And what I mean by that is my stereo in my car, I can get FM, I can get AM, I can get XM satellite radio, I can get a CD, whatever. All right, stop bragging. <laughs> I can't watch DVDs. <laughs> um, but if I know nothing about it, the end result is I just hear music and I'm happy with that. I may not know I'm passing from FM to AM to whatever, right? Our modern radios that we have, they're communicating through multiple pathways and touching multiple infrastructure when you turn that dial or press the button and you probably don't even know it's it's pointing its attention somewhere else. And so can you get to a simplex channel? Yeah, But if you don't practice it or even know it's there or even if it's labeled funny, like uh, I can pull up a channel in my radio that's just labeled simplex. That's pretty on the nose, pretty easy there. It's fine. Yeah. That's friendly to to people like me. Yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the key takeaways is you have to practice. You have to think about these things before they're relevant because when it's in the heat of the moment, you're going to throw it because you're mad at it so what what if uh shit hits the fan and the radios and phones go down what do you do because you, uh, you told me none that of this us is are going to work you told me that this is a scenario that could happen and uh, what's will's famous line piss your pants and fake a seizure <laughs> so ben touched on infrastructure devastating events but to be serious for a second there's a state that ha- has some of the highest hurricane traffic of all the states And you can read after action reviews of how they've actually beefed up their public safety radio infrastructure because it's been devastated so many times. And so redundancy is one thing. So multiple towers that do the same thing, multiple facilities, multiple computer interfaces in different locations. That's one way. There are mobile infrastructure solutions that can come to a devastated area. So for example, here in Denver, we have the capability to request a special vehicle that kind of looks like a big ambulance that our radio professionals operate. And I mean, it's like, it's basically like hackers, like radio hackers on the road. And so they can come bring this 
vehicle wherever it needs to go, they can do all kinds of stuff. They can set up infrastructure that doesn't exist. They can support infrastructure that's overwhelmed and they can make two types of infrastructure that don't communicate with one another. They can make them communicate with each other. But like Ben alluded to, it takes time. So, so these guys drive a truck into a disaster and make radios work. Yeah. Thank God for them. Well, and, and this is something that if anybody's listening from the wildland fire world, this is what they do. They're laughing. They're laughing at us. Yeah. This is what they do every fire because they go into the middle of nowhere and they set up some of this infrastructure to support sometimes, you know, staff of thousands of people there for the, for the wildland fire. Got it. Um, so one of the other things I wanted to talk about was you had brought this up when we were just chatting about it. Uh, and I'd like to dive into it a little bit is it's like a simple question. And then I have no idea how to answer it, which is how would you move everyone to a new channel? And do you need permission to do that? I mean, it, it depends. Yeah. So I think you, you kind of nailed it with, it's a really simple question that has really huge implications and may not be really straightforward. So going back to some of the stuff we've talked about, you know, who are you moving and to what channel is it going to be uh, people you work with that have the same radio infrastructure, people with different radio infrastructure? Is it going to be a channel in that expanding concentric geographic ring that maybe you do need to get permission before you start operating on? But all that comes back to you have to rehearse this before the really bad day. I think that's kind of the theme that you'll hear us keep repeating is all of these things are doable. Some of them take time in the moment, but none of them are really possible unless you have practiced that in your agency with your comms folks and with potentially some of your corresponding agencies that maybe you don't work with on a day-to-day basis because you may need permission to operate on another channel and that's, you know, really awkward if you don't have it or there's some other issue moving to that other channel. All right. What else you guys got for me? I, I, I feel like I just was blind to this stuff and, and now hearing all of this, I'm, I'm just blown away. So I'll, I'll pimp, Something that uh, Will mentioned once, I think, in one of our chats is, uh, especially in Colorado, there's a online training module that's free through CoTrain all about radio nerd stuff. So if you really want to deep dive about how all these work, there are, I think it's three modules that are designed for non-radio people to kind of explain the details of some of the radio stuff and some of the problems you can run into. The course Ben is referring to can be found on train.org. That's T-R-A-I-N dot O-R-G. The course is entitled DHS Radio Interoperability. Yeah, I would I would add on to that. Um, so, Matt, I'm going to put you on the spot. Please. So when you're a paramedic, how many radio channels do you think you talked on? Uh, two. Pretty much you got calls on one and then like you were assigned to a call on one and then on two you were, uh, that's where you communicated about the call. 
And then we, now that I think about it, so that was for our agency. And then we also carried a fire department radio so we could hear their response and traffic. Which was a separate physical radio. Yep. So even that is a layer of complexity that doesn't have to exist. It's possible the technology exists to get like all of that on one physical device. And then if you ventured out of your normal hood, what would you do? Uh, I, I, so would we, you ever do that? We were, we were like a county level agency. Um, and so I never had to think about that. We were always just on our, uh, third service radio and then also listening to the fire department radio. Yeah. And then the, we would rely on the fire department to, to tell us what police were saying because they had the police capability. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I would say what you just described is like so many people that listen to this podcast are going to be shaking their head like, yep, that's exactly what it's like where I work too or incredibly similar. So uh, some incredibly practical advice I have is first, grab your radio and go through every single channel that's in it and figure out how to get there. You won't know what they all do, but one thing that I think is a good exercise is figure out how to get from however you, whatever channel you got on, figure out how to get back to where you know you should be because crazy things can happen. You can pick up that handheld radio or that radio in your vehicle and you're like, why is it on whatever? You know, maybe it was in for repair or maintenance or sometimes it can get updates like over the air, quote unquote, and you never know what can happen. So figure out how to always get back to what home is. And then I would say, ask the hard questions, work out from there. So pick an agency that very realistically might respond with like a neighboring jurisdiction. Like, how do we talk to them? And don't stop asking that question until someone can answer it. That's, that's kind of the approach that I've taken with this stuff is don't be satisfied with, well, we'll figure that out when it's relevant because no, you won't, you won't rise to the occasion. You're going to sink to the level of your training. I'll throw in one other kind of, this is going to sound really silly, but know what all the buttons do on your radio. There's nothing, one more frustrating than picking up a radio that says it's been locked and not knowing how to unlock it. But I think where I, the, the serious matter is know what your emergency button actually does. So on the radios, there's almost always a little red button. And if you press it or press and hold it, it will, you know, help come in some fashion. And I think more than often than not, Everyone's kind of afraid of it. Nobody really knows what happens if you press it. Depending on the radio and how it's configured, you may have to press and hold it for a certain duration of time. Press it. It may take you from whatever channel you're on to some home channel. It may give you a certain amount of airtime when it activates so you can yell for help. Um, I know that's kind of outside of a MCI communicating event, but... Um, one of the other reasons I bring it up is you can also tie up a radio channel accidentally if you sit on it and now all of a sudden in the middle of this bad day event, you have completely occupied all the airtime because you accidentally held down the button. 
No, actually, Ben, I think that that's really relevant because I have heard emergency keys go off quite frequently, and I would say they're almost always dismissed right away as a false alarm or end up being a false alarm, and it's usually inconvenient. And so I think it's worth, as you alluded to, because it you, for the sake of safety, you get to monopolize that channel and you get all of it for you. And so knowing what happens when you press it, knowing how it gets resolved, knowing what your dispatcher is going to do if it gets pressed, I think those are all very relevant questions. To, again, provide a real-world example, the current radio infrastructure we utilize where I work, if I activate my emergency key, I am the only one that can deactivate it. So I have just monopolized all of that airspace and my dispatcher is powerless. Really? When did that's interesting. What do you actually have to do to deactivate it? Hold it back, hold it down for another three seconds. Interesting. And to make that complicated, so if I hold down my emergency key for three seconds, it activates. I get all of the airtime. It tones everybody's radio. And then when you so Matt, let me throw a scenario at you. Okay. You're taking care of a patient and you sit down on your radio funny and all of a sudden you realize you activated your emergency key on accident and you've never, you don't even know how you did it or how to deactivate it. What, what are you probably going to do? Turn off the radio. Yeah. Or what? Throw it out of the Throw it as far (laughs) as I can. Yeah. I would say the close third is change the channel. Yeah. So on our current radios, if you activate your emergency key and then you spin the channel dial, you drag that emergency transmission to every channel you just touched. So all of a sudden you've just monopolized like all the channels that you can touch until you deactivate your emergency key. And I want to be clear, I deserve that level of attention. (laughs) Well, uh, and so... I imagine that the hospitals have this all figured out too, right? They have all the the radios they need, and we can talk to them pretty easily. During oh yeah, they're totally <laughs> dialed. Yeah, yep. they're yeah. yep, they got it. So that's a whole nother layer, right? Like they they have their own channel for you to call in on, but that doesn't mean they necessarily have the ability to talk to the fire department, police department. So I would I would be cautious calling it a whole nother layer, quote unquote. And I know you're just using that as kind of a figure of speech, but Somewhere, some sort of planning-minded person in a, in a system where EMS providers contact the hospital via radio, that hospital radio is probably on the exact same infrastructure that all the other public safety radios are on. It's just operating on a like a bank of channels that is dedicated to hospitals. So the capability to speak to first responders is maybe there. It may not be. They may have deactivated it or not programmed it in so that a curious nurse or tech, you know, doesn't do something silly. But the the technology is incredibly powerful. I think that's maybe what I'm trying to say. And so and it's designed to be incredibly user-friendly. <laughs> But a lot of us either don't take the time to learn it or we don't have access to somebody to teach us. And especially thinking about like, 
you as a physician in the emergency department, I'm sure there's a radio in your emergency department, but who knows how to use it? All right. What other stories, after action reports, uh, experiences, crazy things, what else do you have for me? What, what other things that I should be warned about? Well, I think it's, I mean, one other little rabbit trail we didn't go down is just like a cell phone, you can overwhelm this infrastructure with the sheer volume of traffic. And so, you know, in the context of what we're specifically referring to, which are complicated incidents or MCIs or active shooters, when you get a flood of outside agencies coming to one place, you're going to get a busy tone on your radio frequently. And it's incumbent upon that end user, that paramedic, that first responder, to know, what do I do when I get a busy tone? What a lot of people end up doing is they end up, they get frustrated and press the push to talk button more. Some radios, that generates more problems. Some of them are idiot proof and know like, hey, this guy is just really trying to talk. So we'll give them priority. Um, but it comes back to knowing what, what yours does. And that's not a, that's not a complicated question to ask. Probably anyone in your dispatcher communication center can tell you exactly what's happening when you do that. Yeah. And I think another kind of point is in a large scale incident where radio infrastructure is overwhelmed, don't necessarily plan on having your cell phone be your backup because if your radios are overwhelmed and the public safety infrastructure is overwhelmed, cell phones are almost for sure going to be overwhelmed. You can see it in any large, you know, non-bad incident. That's a very technical term. Like when the Broncos won the Super Bowl, no one could get a cell phone connection during the, the victory parade. And it was just the sheer number of people. So I think it's important to know that yeah, your cell phone is potentially available to back you up if, if your radio system does fail, but don't count on it because if, if something is taken out the radios or there's such a bad incident that your radio system's overwhelmed, cell phones are almost surely going to be overwhelmed as well. So to, to wrap this all up, if I'm a, a brand new EMT or paramedic or an experienced EMT or paramedic who this stuff is all brand new to, I'm going to go to my next shift and I'm going to figure out what type of radio I have, how to change the channels, ask how we would talk to, say, our two or three most common potential mutual aid agencies, and what else? What else should I, what else should I know is just your standard street medic? If you are out in the field, you absolutely need to have a deeper understanding of your radio beyond you know, they give us the call on on notch one, and then I turn it to notch two to talk to the other people. And then when I'm done, I go back to notch one. Like, don't be that simple-minded about this stuff. Do you have the capability to talk to law enforcement? Also, this is really simple, but it's overlooked. Do you have extra power? Do you have a charger in your vehicle? Do you keep an extra battery? Because again, this is the means of communication that is most taken for granted. And the easiest way for it to fail is for the battery to die.
I don't know if anybody's still listening because we're pretty <laughs> we're pretty far down the nerd path right now. He was the radio version of a human centipede. <laughs> That's disgusting. <laughs> no, and no, it wasn't. That's not a good analogy. <laughs> I can't believe Will's uh, Will, Will's gonna be the analogy police right now.